This week on One Body Stewarding God's Creation, Plainfield native Sister Mary Francesca talks about her vocational calling to becoming a nun with the Sisters of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. One Body Stewarding God's Creation. How does one discern a vocational call? One Body. What is the charism of the IHM community? One Body. Well, let's find out. Sister Mary Francesca is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Kelly Roper. Sister Mary Francesca is originally from Plainville, Kansas. After graduating from high school in 2014, she attended Fort Hayes State University at the Como Catholic Campus Center there, and she began to discern a call to the religious life, and she entered the Sisters of the Immaculate Heart of Mary in the fall of 2016. After completing her initial formation, she professed her perpetual vows on March 19th of 2022, just recently, and is currently attending Pittsburgh State University to complete a secondary education degree. Wow. So so thank you so much for, for um, joining us. It sounds like you are, are busy right now with all of your college studies and, you know, all of your ministry studies and, and uh, ministry duties, I guess, and, and all the things that going on so yet here you are on the phone with us and we are appreciative oh thank you very much so can you start by by sharing with us a little bit about your upbringing and what your faith was like growing up yes so i grew up in a catholic family and i'm so very grateful because my parents were very insistent with us that we would go to mass every sunday and i know especially growing up There were times where I was resistant to that. I just didn't want to go to Mass for whatever reason. But um, looking back, of course, I am so very grateful that they um, made sure that was central to our lives, that going to Mass. And then also, um, even though I attended public school growing up, we, um, my sisters and I, would go to um, CCD or the religious formation classes on Wednesdays. So that was very helpful. And then also I was involved in lots of different groups. So at the public school, they had, at least at the time I was there, um, FCA, which is the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So a group of the students who were involved in sports but also wanted to keep Christ as as the center of that activity would meet during the mornings, maybe once a month or so. And then there were um, totus to us, prayer in action, um, those sort of youth events in the summer and then also being involved in the CYO, the Catholic Youth Organization. So all of those things just kind of peppered throughout my growing up helped to keep the faith alive, even though I can say that I didn't start encountering the Lord personally and powerfully until I got to college. And that is for no lack of effort or prayer on my family or for on the part of um, the other adults in my life. I think I just was perhaps not open to that relationship at the time. I didn't, I wasn't angry towards the Lord. I just didn't really pursue him or allow him to pursue me until my college years. And and so you were at Fort Hayes State University at that point. Yes. And uh, that's where you started to hear the call. So when was your first encounter with the IHM sisters? That also occurred when I was at Fort Hayes. So they have the Como Catholic campus center at Fort Hayes, and the IHMs would come to the campus center 
a few times throughout the semester just to meet the students and to talk about religious life. So that was a beautiful encounter for me as well. I had met a few sisters growing up in the Salina Diocese, um, several of the sisters of St. Joseph, so like Sister Barbara Ellen and Sister Beverly Carlene. I had met through the CYO events and different things, but this was another opportunity to meet another community of sisters in college with the IHMs visiting. So it was those, all those experiences together really helped open my heart to the possibility of a religious vocation. What was like the the overall impact of that? You know, when you say inspired you to the vocation, you know, help us to, to paint that picture. Sure. So as I kind of mentioned before, when I was growing up in middle school or in high school, I was very inspired by the witness of religious sisters, but I didn't at that point consider it as an option for me. It's kind of funny because my mother told me that both of my other sisters had kind of considered religious life more seriously at one point, but for me it was more, well, I know as a good Catholic I should consider it, but it wasn't really, I guess, time yet to discern. So then when I was in college, as I mentioned as well, that's when I started to encounter our Lord on a personal level, and that's really what opened that door to discern the religious vocation um, seriously. And that came about through just the very inspiring example of the friends I met at the Campus Center. I met a lot of college students who were just on fire for their faith and so exuberant in the way they shared it. And they just encouraged me to do simple things like when you come into the Campus Center and there's a a little chapel in that Campus Center, they said, make a visit, you know, stop just for a few seconds to say hello to our Lord present there in the Eucharist. And so I started doing that. And then I had other friends encouraging me to go to daily Mass and to pray the Rosary and to foster that devotion to our Blessed Mother. So all of those little suggestions, even though I may have thought that they were odd at first, those really did help me to just want to be with our Lord all the time. I wanted to pray all the time and and really give my life to him. So that was the turning point, was just encountering him personally, encountering his love for me on a personal level, and then um, being open to that invitation he was extending to me to be his bride. Um, Maybe suggestions on how you did it or or suggestions for others who might be filling that, that call as well? That's an excellent question, and it's true. It is um, very difficult at, difficult at times to discern the Lord's will. Even when we have the best intentions, there's always that fear, like maybe I would make the wrong decision. But for me, a big help was all of that time spent in prayer. And I think anyone who is discerning anything, whether it's your vocation or even just your simple day-to-day decisions, that life of prayer is so important. And staying close to the sacraments, especially Mass and confession, and remaining in a state of grace, all of those things help just keep that connection open between ourselves and God. And He wants to communicate with us. So even though there is that fear, if we are truly and sincerely seeking His will, we can also trust that He will lead us um, down the right path. But then also, as far as discerning religious life, which is a little more unusual. Um, We don't even, um, in the Wichita Diocese, you know, there are still some 
students who maybe have never encountered sisters before or don't know much about religious life. So um, a big help in that aspect for me was talking to sisters, asking them questions. They are so happy and eager to answer any, any and all questions that I had. And I would say that of any sisters, not, not just the community I entered. But then also visiting convents was helpful. And I have several friends who have discerned that they are called to marriage, but they still found it very helpful to visit a convent because then they had an inside look as to what religious life really is, and they grew in their appreciation for it. So that way, um, you know, just as, as they're discerning, they can just have a better understanding of how the Lord calls each person to a life of of beautiful love and there's sacrifice and there's fulfillment, but, you know, just having a clearer vision of how that's a part of every vocation. And then also, you know, when these friends of mine have children of their own, they can then more purely inspire their children to follow their vocations, whatever their vocations may be, just because, um, you know, my friends have taken that time to encounter religious life. And like I said, there's a lot of... um, misconceptions put out there by the media. So that's one of my favorite things to do when we are able to visit the schools and just share with the students the great joy that we have in living our life because there are some things that they may not have, may not have considered before, but it's, it's great to, to share that love and that joy with them. I, you know, it's just it's just a beautiful thing to be able to go to the youth and really, really set them on fire now. You know, and and uh, you know if we can get them on fire now while they're they're young, you know, think of all the the problems that they're going to avoid in their life. You know, later on. It's it's very true. Yes, and the youth are are such a powerful part of the church. That's one thing that I loved. Sister Barbara Ellen would always encourage us in that when we would go to those youth um, conferences. For the Salina Diocese, she would just encourage the youth. You know, you have such a a gift in in being enthusiastic for the faith, and so mm-hmm. if we're you know pointed in the right direction, it's all the more powerful to help others come to know and love our Lord. And you know, you were very young whenever you you went to the sisters. So so share with us a little bit about uh, picking the the sisters of the Immaculate Heart of Mary to be the order you joined. And you know, did you look at other orders, or was did you just know this is the one? That is also an excellent question. So yes, my journey to come to know that I should enter the IHMs was kind of a long one. Because originally, I, even though I had met the IHMs at the campus center, I did not think I was going to be called to join that community. Number one, because the IHMs are teachers. That's um, one of their ways they serve the church, and I did not feel very drawn to teaching. But then also, I had a roommate in college who was discerning religious life, and she had entered the IHMs after my freshman year. So I also did not think I was going to be called to that same community. So I spent a lot of time, you know, especially with the internet now, you can find a lot of different communities, um, websites online. So I spent a lot of time looking into different communities. And I also thought that I would probably need to join a community that was very austere because I had encountered our Lord's great love for me. And I wanted to give all of that love back to him. And I thought, well, surely that means 
the greatest sacrifices need to be offered, you know, and and things like walking barefoot or sleeping on boards mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. actually seemed appealing to me because I just wanted to to give myself to him so completely. But I continued to research about different communities, and then I did go and visit, like, for example, the Marion Sisters in Nebraska. Um, they are a lovely community, and I... When I visited them, I could tell I wasn't called to their community, but I didn't really know why. I just knew that this was not the right one. So I kept searching. I kept um, discerning. And then at one point, I was really interested in the cloistered or contemplative life. So those are the sisters who do not leave their monastery, but their primary service to the church is their prayer. And as I had been reading about the cloistered life, I read how these sisters are spending their time being attentive to our Lord who is so often forgotten. And I found that just very beautiful. And I had that desire as well to sort of make reparation to our Lord and to console his heart in that way. So what's funny is eventually I went to go visit the IHM community, but my main reason for visiting was to see my friend who had entered there the year before. And when I went on that little visit, I realized that this community was had all of the these little aspects that I had been looking for. They were all contained in this one community. So particularly, I love the IHM's devotion to the Eucharist and to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, those became very strong pillars in my own life, and so to see them so present in the religious community um, just made it seem like a perfect fit. But then also the IHM's have an emphasis on the contemplative life. So even though we are an active community, we do go out and teach. We have more prayer incorporated into our life than maybe some other communities do, and that's just because, again, our, we have a more of a Carmelite spirituality. There is that emphasis on prayer and of um, just pondering the Word like Our Lady did. And um, so that was appealing to me. And then also the great and rich community life that I saw present in the sisters. There was just a a joy and a family atmosphere. I felt very much at home. So anyway, long story short, the Lord kind of surprised me, Mm. um, calling me to be an IHM. But that has been a beautiful aspect of my discernment as well, because number one, he helped me realize, like, even though I did enter the same community as my friend from college, He calls each religious to a specific community, and so over time he's helped me realize, like, yes, this is really his call, his will for me to be a part of this community. But then also with the teaching, too. I mentioned I wasn't very enthusiastic about teaching, and as I have continued in my formation, he has helped me to see what a beautiful apostolate that is and how needed it is in the church today. And so as I prepare to be a teacher myself, it's it's becoming more and more of a desire on my heart to share the love of our Lord through that teaching apostolate. Is that where you joined at, is in Wichita or somewhere else? Yes, I did. We Our um, current mother house is in Colwich, so it's very close to Wichita. Uh-huh. Um, 
and that's where I stayed for the first several years of my initial formation, which I know we'll talk about here in a second. Um, and then just recently, I moved to Pittsburgh. Um, we have a few sisters living in Pittsburgh during the school year to teach at the Catholic schools here in Pittsburgh. So I'm living with them and attending Pittsburgh State University to get my education degree. Excellent. Love it. All right. So um, you entered um, the convent. You graduated high school. We should back up here. You graduated high school in 2014. And then, you know, you went to, to Fort Hayes and felt the call and responded to that call. And you went to the Sisters of the Immaculate Heart of Mary in the fall of 2016. So, I mean, we're just talking about two years out of high school. And, and there you are, you know, looking at the Sisters of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. So tell us a little bit about uh, the, the formation process that, that you went to once, once you went into the convent uh, with the sisters there. You know, uh, we, we can all remember the, the sound of music where they, you know, shave off their head and they, you know. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what's the process really like? What, what does that look like for you? Yes, that's, uh, that's another excellent question. Ah, um, thanks. <laughs> Um, before I answer it, though, I do want to backtrack just a second, um, because when I was telling about my discernment process, and I mentioned kind of feeling this call to join a community that was more austere, and I thought that the greater the sacrifice means the greater the love. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to clarify that as I have continued um, in my discernment these past several years, the Lord has also helped me to realize that As he says in scripture, what he wants most of all is obedience and not sacrifice. So the communities who do offer up those more austere penances and and live those sort of lifestyles are definitely pleasing to the Lord, but that is because they are following his will. So it was beautiful to realize that even though God was calling me to the IHMs, he would be so pleased that I was following his will. And that is the way that I would be able to show the greatest love and to receive his love in the greatest way. So anyway, just to to clarify those two points that, you know, the the sacrifice is, of course, beautiful. And every community, you know, every lifestyle, every person will will agree that um, when we follow the Lord, we take up our cross and we follow him. But it truly is that following his will that is most pleasing to him. So with that being said, that'll kind of help me jump into the question about the formation process, because as I was saying, there's discernment that occurs leading up to entering the convent, but what's beautiful is that discernment continues even after you enter. So very much like when you are called to marriage and you're dating a young man or a young woman, and those who enter the seminary, you know, they're obviously discerning as they prepare for the priesthood, and so very much similarly with religious life, you enter and there is a good amount of time for the young women to discern if this is God's will, but then also for the community to be discerning as well. Like, is this young woman right for our community? And so the first stage of formation is the postulancy. And for the IHM community, our postulancy period is from about six months to a year where you live the life of the sisters so their life of prayer, their meals, their recreation, all of that is very much one with the sisters. But at the same time, you are making that transition from um, the lay life into that life of the convent. So at that time during postulancy, we spend our days taking classes from the sisters. 
so we stay at the convent, and um, our sisters who are in charge of our formation will teach us things like just the basics of the faith, so things like going over the creed or over church history. But then there's also an introduction into the writings of St. Teresa of Avila and Mariology. That's definitely a favorite class of all of our sisters, learning more about Our Lady. And so we're taking classes. There's different little charges that we might do, so things like watering trees or helping to plant um, bushes in the garden. But you keep your baptismal name. You keep your long hair. <laughs> so there's still kind of that, that time of transition. And then after that period of six months to a year, you can request to enter the novitiate as a novice. And so again, there's the beautiful practice of writing our superior a letter, just stating the young woman's free and joyful decision to, to want to ask and enter as a novice. And so if mother has approved of that request, then the postulant becomes a novice. And at that point, she receives her religious name, and she also gets to wear a white veil. So the color of white is to signify her newness. She is now a a real religious sister. Um, So she's made that transition from the laity to the religious life, but she has not yet made vows. So if at any point during the time as a novice, if the young woman discerns that she's no longer called, she can leave without any, uh, I don't know what to say, there's no, no vows binding her yet to the community. So the time of being a novice is two years, and that is a little more of an intense period. So the young woman is now a religious sister, so she's learning a little bit more about what does it mean to be specifically an IHM sister? Um, there are so many different communities who have so many different beautiful charisms, but she wants to learn um, how to live the religious life as a sister of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And so she continues to take classes in the convent. Um, she might have a few more responsibilities here and there, but she's just kind of making that transition and during that time discerning, is the Lord calling me to profess my vows? Because that, of course, is a big commitment and a serious commitment. So she continues to discern, the community continues to discern. And then after those two years of being a novice, she can request to profess her first vows. So with first vows, you profess chastity, poverty, and obedience, but you only profess to live those vows for a year. So again, the church in her wisdom has um, given young men and women in the religious life that opportunity to live the vows, to be completely committed, but to, to try it out for a year. And that way, again, if the young woman discerns during that year that she is not called to pursue this religious life perpetually, then she can, um, at the end of that year, again, leave the community um, so, but um, normally <laughs> the, the young women do go on to renew those vows at the end of that year. And um, the period of temporary profession goes on for three years. So there's basically three years of those temporary vows where you're renewing those vows each year. And then at the end of those three years, you can request to profess your perpetual vows. And that's what I did just this last March. And so with that profession, Um, you're still professing those same vows of chastity, poverty, and obedience, and living those vows um, 
under the constitutions of the specific community that you have joined. But this time, the commitment is eternal, which is so beautiful um, that our Lord allows us to do that. So basically, by professing my perpetual vows, I was giving myself totally to the Lord through all eternity. So we can kind of see why there's such a discernment process and there's so many years to discern because it is a very big commitment. But at the same time, I think all of our sisters would agree that um, the Lord just provides so much grace to know his will. And so by the time we get to that perpetual profession, there might be some nervousness, but at the same time, there's great peace because we know that this is our Lord's will and that he will um, continue to provide his graces. And we're just very joyful and grateful um, for this beautiful opportunity and, and invitation from him to live this life. Yeah, beautiful. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll be right back with more from Sister Mary Francesca and her vocation story. We're back on One Body, Stewarding God's Creation. My vocation story. creation. With Sister Mary Francesca. Kelly Roper conducts the interview. We are talking with Sister Mary Francesca and uh, talking about, uh, we've, we've just went through the process from, from postulancy to novitiate to perpetual vows. Um, you talked about at the novitiate that, you know, you write a letter to your superior and if it's approved, then you get a new name and a white veil. So, so tell us about uh, the, the new name. Your name is, is Sister Mary Francesca. So how was it picked? Did you pick it? Was it chosen for you? How did that come about, and, and why that name? Well, it's very fitting um, because I am actually named after Francisco, who is one of the little children Our Lady of Fatima appeared to. And every community is different. You know, there are some communities where the superior just chooses a name and the sister receives that. Um, but for our community, we do spend that time when we're a postulant reading a lot about the lives of the saints. And we, again, are just asking our Lord to help us to know which saint will really inspire me to get to heaven. They're all inspiring, <laughs> but we want to um, find the one that is especially chosen for us to inspire us. And um, so we typically will give our superior three um, options that we are considering, and then she will perhaps discuss those options with us. Sometimes the sister really likes one saint, but she needs help to discern like what form of the name to take. So it's, it's all a, a beautiful part of the process. But we choose a new religious name to signify our new identity and our new mission. And we can see that oftentimes in scripture as well, like when... Simon gets his name changed to Peter, or Abram gets his name changed to Abraham. There's that beautiful new mission and new identity entrusted to them. And so similarly, we want to be reminded of that. 
And so as IHMs, we always have some form of Mary in our name. (laughs) So some of our sisters have Mary. Some take a form of Marie or Maria, but she's there somewhere. (laughs) And that's because Our Lady is our primary model and patron. So we definitely want to have her in our name. And then we choose a patron saint. So um, when I was reading about different saints, I was very inspired by Francisco because he had a great love for our Lord, and he especially wanted to spend time with him in the Blessed Sacrament. And I had mentioned before that I was um, drawn to make reparation and to console his heart, and so that was very inspiring to me, the fact that he just wanted to love our Lord so much and to simply be with him. And um, he also had a beautiful response to Our Lady. I don't know if you are very familiar with the Fatima message or the Fatima story, but at one point, Lucia, who is Francisco's cousin, and she also saw Our Lady, she asked Mary, you know, will you take us to heaven? And Mary said, yes, you all will go to heaven. But she said, first, Francisco must pray many rosaries. <laughs> He's the only one who was given, you know, kind of a, a request to his um, entrance into heaven. But he was so joyful. And he said, Mary, I will pray as many rosaries as you want. So that was another great inspiration for me, is just his great joy and desire for heaven. And um, even though he knew he would die at a very young age, he ended up dying just a few years after the apparitions. He died of the Spanish flu, but um, he just didn't care at all because he wanted to be with our Lord and Our Lady. And Mm. so that was all of those elements together were very inspiring for me. Yeah. Oh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So, um, you know, you chose the, the, the name Mary Francesca after Francisco. So do you want to share a little bit about the Fatima message, since that is really something that obviously is near and dear to your heart? We've heard a, a lot about it recently. And, you know, current status of, of uh, the country right now, you know, we're kind of thinking, you know, maybe the, the Fatima message is, is um, you know, coming to be. So can you uh, share with us a little bit about that message? Oh, definitely. I would be happy to. Um, so Our Lady appeared in Fatima, Portugal in 1917 to three shepherd children. Um, there was Lucia, who was about 10 years old, and then her two cousins, Jacinta and Francisco, who were brother and sister, and they were, um, I believe, eight and seven years old, so very young children. But she had a message for them, and like many of her messages that she shared, like at Lourdes, she asked them to pray for the conversion of sinners. That was something something that she repeated every time she appeared. And she appeared on the 13th of May of that year, 2017, and then she came back each month on the 13th of the month um, from May until October. And she specifically asked them to pray the rosary for peace. And she mentioned that, you know, World War I is going on, and she mentioned that a much worse war would occur if people's hearts were not converted. So, I mean, she predicted World War II, but she said, uh, you know, praying the the rosary for peace would be an essential part of that conversion. And she also inspired the children and asked them to spread the message to sacrifice for sinners. And oftentimes we 
may may kind of shrug away from sacrifice. But again, those sacrifices don't have to be very scary things. It can be simple things like extending an act of charity when you don't feel like it or, you know, taking a few more minutes of prayer when you would rather watch the television, something like that. Very simple things. And then I'm forgetting a part of it. Oh, and of course, <laughs> spreading devotion to the Immaculate Heart oh, of Mary. Yeah. So um, that's that's a big reason why she is our Lady of Fatima is so near and dear to my community because as sisters of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, we, of course, have also been entrusted with that mission of spreading devotion to her Immaculate Heart. But again, this devotion to Our Lady's Heart, she wants us to know that she is our mother and that she loves us and will always draw us to Jesus. There is no reason to hesitate when we are wanting to be devoted to, devoted to her because she will only draws closer to her son. And so, um, yes, a a part of that Fatima message also involved consecrating Russia to her Immaculate Heart. So I know just recently Pope Francis has had us, have had the church pray that prayer of consecration. Again, we can see that there are still errors that are spreading, but it's beautiful to know that even though these problems in the world can seem so heavy and so large, I know that I can convert my heart. Like that's, that's my, my primary duty is my own personal conversion, but then also not to take for granted the great power we have as a mystical body to offer our prayers and offer our sacrifices for the conversion of all sinners, of all heart and hearts, and just entrusting that all to Our Lady and to her her powerful intercession. We definitely cannot go wrong in that. So, you know, every order of, of religious sisters normally has a charism, I think. Every time I talk to somebody, there's a certain charism. I know that, that you are attending um, Pitt State in order to get your education degree. And uh, so I'm just, I'm wondering if teaching is part of the charism or if you can give us like a, an overview of what they have. So, Yes, and um, the charisms in religious communities, as I said too, is so mysterious to me, but it's one of the most beautiful aspects about religious life is just the different ways that each community is called to share the gospel. You know, it's the same gospel, but it's communicated with a little bit different emphasis depending on which community you are encountering. And so as Sisters of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, We are very devoted to the Blessed Virgin Mary, specifically through her Immaculate Heart, and that also means that we are very devoted to the Eucharist. And yes, teaching is definitely a part of our charism. We are called to help evangelize others through our prayer and through our teaching. Those are the two primary means through which we help others know the Lord. And so as far as our prayer goes, I mentioned that we do have that contemplative or Carmelite emphasis. So we do spend a lot of time just praying with Scripture. But we also have um, a call to pray for the conversion of sinners and the sanctification of priests. Those are two specific things that we pray for every day. And then, again, the active side of our apostolate is that teaching. So we are teaching in many of the Catholic schools in the Wichita area, but um, we also help lead retreats and kind of give different talks to help um, people not only 
come to know our Lord, but to learn how to pray and how to encounter Him in their own hearts. So those are all beautiful aspects of our charism. But um, it's hard to to summarize it all in, in a few sentences, but we also have a in our devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, it's the the dual devotion of her sorrowful and immaculate heart. So if you've ever seen our habit, our habit is navy blue to honor Our Lady of Sorrows. And then instead of a regular rosary that we carry on our belt, we have what's known as the Rosary of the Seven Dolors. So it's seven sets of seven beads, and each of those mysteries highlights one of the seven sorrows of Our Lady. So again, it seems kind of odd. Some people say, why are you devoted to Our Lady of Sorrows? That's so sad. But the reason why we are devoted to her is because Our Lady's sorrows are the cause of our joy. And that is because her those sorrows and our Lord dying on the cross is the means for our salvation. So, of course, it is joyful insofar as it is the way in which our Lord has saved us and has called us to himself for all eternity. So, yes, that's... Mm. I think that would well, that, be that, my answer for the character. That's truly beautiful. And you know what, sister? There's somebody out there listening to you who who called in some words for you. So it was uh, somebody named Tammy Winters. Do you happen to know a Tammy Winters? I do. She is my mother. <laughs> nice, nice. And she said that Sister Mary Francesca, she is a blessing to us, and we learn something every time we get to visit. They admire how much you have learned and how well you can articulate it. And uh, so she is a proud mother. And, you know, your your mom calling in also reminds me to ask you another question. I know that, that usually religious don't, have a whole lot of visits with their family. So how often do you actually get to visit? Oh, that is another excellent question. And I do want to say thank you, Mother, <laughs> for that, those beautiful words and for all of her prayers and support. Um, but yes, so again, every community is a little different in terms of how often they communicate with their family or in what way. But as IHMs, we have one Saturday a month where we can either have visiting or calling. So when I lived in Wichita, my family would come up to the convent once a month and we would spend a few hours of that afternoon just getting to talk to one another and be with one another. But now that I live in Pittsburgh, it's a little harder (laughs) to make that trip. So most often we have calling, so we just talk on the phone. But in the summers and things like that, when I go back to the mother house in Wichita, we'll be able to see each other in person. But we also are able to write letters to our families. So it's usually also once a month. So pretty much every two weeks, you're either able to see your family in person or write them a letter. So it's it's fairly steady contact. It's definitely different than having your phone, you know, and being able to call and text whenever you want. But it's so beautiful because we realize that when we are only talking to one another for a few hours each month, our conversations are so much more pure. And we're just, you know, soaking in that time together and not spending it so much on more frivolous things. We're getting to the heart of the matter and just enjoying being with one another. So... There, there are definitely reasons for rejoicing, and, and the Lord works through that. And it also helps us to strengthen our relationship with each other through the Lord, because, you know, most often I am able to 
love and support my family from afar. And that can be difficult at times. But again, like how how much closer are we in Jesus? <laughs> and we're able to experience that, especially when, when a young woman enters the convent. All right. So we have just about uh, three minutes. Sister, would you be willing to pray for everyone, to say a prayer on the air for everyone? Yes, absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Lord, we want to thank you so much for the gift of the Catholic Church and the gift of Divine Mercy Radio as a means to share the faith with others. And we also want to thank you for all of the benefactors who have been able to contribute to the continued spread of the gospel through Divine Mercy Radio, whether it be through their monetary gifts or their spiritual gifts of prayer. And we just ask that you bless them in a special way and that you continue to communicate to the hearts of of anyone you wish to participate in this giving again in whatever means you're calling them to, that they will respond to that call and experience the truth that you will never be outdone in generosity. And so again, we just commend all of those involved with Divine Mercy Radio, all of our listeners, and the whole world to the Immaculate Heart of your Mother as we pray this time the Memorari. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to One Body Stewarding God's Creation. And folks, eternity is not seen, but neither are these airwaves. But if you can support these radio waves and help save souls for eternity, then please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate, where your donation will be seen and appreciated. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 105.7 KMDG Hayes, 101.7 KJDM Lindsborg Salina, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, and 88.1 KVDM Hayes. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. One by-